turn in there. If you don't got one, it's all good. We'll have it up on the screen or just Google it in all honesty. But uh, while you're turning there, I just want to welcome you. My name is Nick. If we have not met yet, if it's your first time, if you've been here before but we haven't met or whatever it may be, uh, my name is Nick and I'm just so thankful to have you here. Whether it's your first time in this place or whether this kind of setting is new for you or whatever it may be, yeah, we're just stoked to have you. Let's make some noise for those who are here for the first time. Uh, we just want to get to know you if that's the case and hear your story and just see what God's doing in your life, no matter your background or where you're from. And so, Yeah, without further ado, if you turned with me to Mark 1, jump there. If not, if you got quick fingers. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be reading about a special character tonight by the name of John the Baptist. And we're going to be learning some things from his life. This is what we do every week. We get together for a time of fellowship, as some may call it. I just call it community. Good times. And then we sing some songs, just praising our God for all that he's done in our lives and just who he is. And then we spend time in the word and just see what Jesus has to say about us and how it applies for life, how it makes any sense for what it means to live in the 21st century. So Mark chapter one, it is in the gospels in the New Testament, going to be in verse one. It says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist, this character, appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. He definitely shopped at Whole Foods, or if he was a little broke, Trader Joe's, same, same diff. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong or the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Cool if we pray before we jump in, Yeah. Lord, thank you just for who you are. Thank you for this community of young adults. Thank you for just what you're wanting to do in this place tonight, God. Jesus, tonight cannot happen without you. Uh, we honestly don't want it to, Lord. We, we need you to show up, Jesus. And I, I pray for so many of my friends in this room, whatever background they may come from, whatever their story is, God, that you may just meet them in this place, that they may just lower barriers and lower things that may prohibit them from seeing you tonight, God. Help me to not embarrass you tonight, Jesus. Help me to represent you well and just communicate what you desire for me to say. Help it to not just be my opinion or what I think, but uh, just what you desire to say to these individuals and your gospel truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time and this place and this space and these people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a place after you clock out after a long day at work or you get home from school or you really just sit down for the first time in what feels like forever after a very long week and have the question in your mind, there must be more to life than this. There must be more to life than this. Often, more often than not, we'd like to admit um, we can feel that way. We can feel like life may not be all that it's cracked out to be. You can be working a job that you feel like isn't a career. You could be pursuing an idea that isn't your dream. And you just have to do what you have to do. You don't necessarily like it. You don't necessarily love it. 
but it's something that you must experience. Bills got to get paid. Things got to get done. And so for the meantime, you have to do what you don't want to do. But in the midst of all that, you may ask yourself the question of, there must be more to life than this. We have, I believe, this inner desire and this inner longing within our hearts and our souls to be made out for more in life, that we're more than just a nine-to-five, 40-hour work week, what we produce kind of individual, that we're all crafted with eternity in mind. And with this in mind, I think so often we can ask ourselves this question of, there must be more to life than this. And then accompanied with that question of, if there's more to life than this, this average thing I face day in and day out, then what is it? I always get the question asked, and I remember getting asked this question, and it just gave me utter anxiety. The question of what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? When you get asked that question, a million things may run through your head. You think, okay, what am I good at? Am I good at anything? Can I even make a living out of it? Can I even do it here in New Mexico? What even jobs are there? Do I want to live in New Mexico for very long? But it's the land of entrapment, so even if I leave, I'm coming back. What do I do with my life? What is my calling, as you might say? In Christianese language or Christian language, we call it that, of what someone's purpose in their life is, what they're made to do, what they're crafted to do is their calling. And you may ask that question yourself of going through life, you may be 28, 21, 19, or somewhere in between. You may ask yourself this question of what am I supposed to do with my life? I find a lot of the time this is one of the greatest questions we all ask ourselves. What am I meant to do? What is my calling here on this earth? And to simplify, as a follower of Jesus, what your calling is, is to know Jesus and to make him known, right? That's like the Sunday school answer. But in the midst of that, how do you deal with your calling? As many of us know, we uh, have been going through this series titled Hunting Giants. Last week was our first week of that, and the whole premise of this series is this. We want to face the giants in our lives that step in through maybe culture, through maybe our minds, through the battle we fight, the giants that we face in temptation or the everyday struggle, the giants we face at home, the giants that are very prevalent and just beyond just maybe a cultural moment where we face in the world. And how do we face these giants? And last week we talked about Daniel. But tonight, I feel like when considering calling and last minute this all changed, I was studying for this message tonight and thinking about what to say and what I believe Jesus wants to communicate to us, and last minute it changed. I really, when considering this, came to terms with the idea of a calling and came to terms with what, it, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to, what do I do in the meantime while I live this life out on earth, however long it may be? And I found that when pursuing a calling, calling, one of the greatest barriers you and I will face as followers of Jesus, if that defines you in this space, is not necessarily boring tasks or hard things to get in the way of a calling or something God has put on your life, but I believe it's something called compromise. I believe compromise is one of the greatest barriers each of us have to our callings. And so tonight, I want to talk with you through the giant of compromise. I want to talk through the giant of compromise because I feel it's a very large giant in many of our lives. And I feel that compromise is one of those things that isn't talked about often. It's hard to define. And even thinking about this, I originally thought about talking about comparison and comparing yourself to other people. But I felt the Lord prompting me to talk about this phrase, compromise. And if you don't know what compromise means, it's this, accepting standards that are lower than what is desirable. For many of us, this looks different. For many of you, it may be a job you took, and it was a safe position. It paid a lot. It was really great on paper, but you stepped into it, and you know you were compromising, that you didn't dream as hard as you could have or worked as hard as you should have. 
You just met the bare minimum. For some of us, this is in our relationships that we know being with this person is compromising. Maybe they don't follow Jesus like you do. Maybe they don't take it serious like you do. Maybe they don't respect boundaries you put in place physically and you feel like day in, day out, you're compromising. And for many of us, this compromise could just be something as simple as not speaking up, not telling the truth when asked about it. And even compromise in our own lives of visiting sites we shouldn't, viewing people in ways we shouldn't, saying things we shouldn't, thinking things we shouldn't. And we begin to set the bar for the standard of our life lower and lower and lower, and we're compromising. And so with this in mind, I I want to tackle this challenge of dealing with compromise as a follower of Jesus in midst calling. And I want to ask a question of how do you deal with compromise? How do you deal with compromise well? Do you just work really hard? Do you read a lot of Joel Osteen and self-help books? Do you watch a bunch of YouTube videos and TED Talks and work really hard and strive? And when you tempted to compromise in any area of your life, you just strain and think, don't compromise, have willpower. How do we not compromise? Well, I believe an answer or a piece of an answer to that question can be found in our title for tonight. And I believe the way we don't compromise is living courageously in our calling living courageously in our calling. See, I mentioned this idea of calling because I believe it's something that's an imprint placed upon each and every one of our lives. I believe each and every one of you in this room, I don't know all of you, I've met a good amount of you, but some of you have no idea about your life, I have no idea about what you've been through, but what I can tell you is that each and every one of you have promises given to you from the Lord. What each and every one of you have are giftings. What each and every one of you have is a calling. In different ways, this can manifest itself, but I believe each and every one of us has this. And so this is something that applies to all of us. So for those of us tonight who are exhausted by not living into a calling, by falling short every day, by compromising in many ways, by feeling exhausted by not living up to the potential, by feeling exhausted by the question of the bar set so low, there has to be more to life than this. This sermon's for you and I, because I need this. This sermon is to tackle this idea of living courageously in a calling because, to be honest, it's hard. And so, with this in mind, we just read in Mark about this character by the name of John the Baptist. I joke about him shopping at Whole Foods because he's this wilderness prophet, biblical guy, very famous I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist is so rowdy, y'all. John the Baptist is crazy, okay? We're going to learn about him. We're going to, tonight, we're kind of going to do like a biopic of him, kind of look through his life, analyze what he went through, and then see how it applies to us. But you're going to read about him, and you're either going to love him because he's just out there. He's wild. He's living in the wilderness. He's eating honey and like bugs. I don't know why, but he is. Or you're going to find some kind of distance with him, some kind of disagreement with him. And so I believe there's three specific ways we live courageously in our calling. There's three specific things we must do and come to terms with through looking at the life of John the Baptist, if we're going to do this thing, living courageously in our calling, that despite all circumstances, we're going to fight against compromise. We're going to fight against setting the bar low for ourselves, set the bar high, and meet that standard and expectation. Does that sound good? Yeah? I mean, are you guys, like, alive? Does that sound good? All right, so the first thing, if you want to live courageously in your calling, if you're tired of compromise in any area, the first thing you must do is you know, must know your way and who it's all about. You must know your way and who it's all about. See, I think people say patience is a virtue, 
But I'd go one step further than that. I believe self-awareness is a virtue. You guys know what I'm saying? I think the best test of self-awareness is like close talkers. You guys know what I mean? You guys with me tonight? People who like talk, like you're in a conversation, they're here, but they just draw closer, closer. Yeah, wow, wow, yes. And then you guys are like, Nick, this is you, bro. But like, like you ask for prayer, and they're coming, like, yes, yes, brother, yes. And they're just in your face. And they always got, like, bad coffee breath. You guys know what I mean. Um, actually, freshman year, when I was, like, 15, I took French class. Don't remember anything. Don't ask me to say anything in French. And I probably don't remember it because my French teacher had the worst coffee breath I have ever smelled in my life. And it was first, it was, like, the first class of the day, too. So, like, it was fresh off the pot, man. And she would, like, lean over the table and, like, speak French to all of us. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I wish my nose could just not exist right now like Voldemort. But that's how it feels when people don't have self-awareness, right? And if that's you, it's all good. It's been me too. No shame in this place. But self-awareness is something that I find is so essential to just being human. I find if those who are self-aware, I, I admire them so much. People who are self-aware are so confident in what Jesus is doing in their life. They're so confident of their shortcomings. They're so confident about what they're about. And our character tonight, John the Baptist, I believe we can break down that he was a self-aware individual. See, if you want to live courageously in your calling, you have to know who, what your way is, what you're following, what you're doing. This was John the Baptist. And if we read in this first couple of verses, verse 2, it says this from Isaiah the prophet, written hundreds of years before John the Baptist. says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord make his paths straight. See, John, this individual, John the Baptist, he was actually the last biblical prophet to exist before he was killed. John knew his purpose on earth. John knew what he was about. There's nothing that could convince John otherwise, that for some reason, from the moment he was born to the moment of this reading of scripture, John understood why he was on this earth. He knew what he was designed for. It was to make a way in the wilderness. It was to prepare the Jerusalem, the area of Judea that he is in, to, for the coming Messiah, Jesus. I think of so often of hiking. Do I have any hikers in here? Anyone, anyone hit up La Luz like often? You're only a real hiker if you're like hiking La Luz every day. I know people like that. You guys are crazy. Oh my gosh. It's so hard doing that. But I think of hiking, and I think of how so often it's easy to walk a trail or it's easy to walk a path that is already laid out. There's nothing to really break down. There's no trees. There's no rattlesnakes to deal with because it's already cleared out. And I had to think there was somebody who has to be a trailblazer, somebody who had to set that path, someone who had to walk off course, and maybe they did it legally, and then it just happened to be a trail. Or is people who made it up their mind and determined to make a path I think of this with John the Baptist. That is what he's doing. He's making a path to Jesus for people to witness and see. And this, John the Baptist was so convinced of this calling. It was something that no one could deter him from it. No one could convince him otherwise. And John knew his calling. And he wasn't concerned with what people had to say about his calling. He wasn't concerned with opinions on his calling because he was convinced of his calling and what Jesus had call, called him to. And I wonder, why did John know his calling? Why did John know it? How was John made aware of this? Well, I believe John knew his calling and his purpose on this earth because he understood and read what his heavenly father had to say about him. He understood the promises given to him and for generations before spoken about this calling, this purpose on his life. We read that this is Isaiah the prophet. Hundreds of years before John exists, this is being said. 
And he believes that he is the one to fulfill this prophecy. Now, don't be that individual in this room who says, oh, I read in this revelation or I read in Daniel and I'm the one that Daniel's speaking about. We'll have some conversations. John the Baptist was a very specific individual. He's very special. And I love that this, there's this aspect that John the Baptist understood what his purpose was because he understood what his heavenly father had to say about him. And I want to ask you that same question. In every facet, I believe God's carving out in our stories this calling, this meaning to our lives. What is it for you? And I believe that broken down, I think we could overcomplicate it. Our purpose on this earth is to know Jesus and make him known. And we can make it super complicated, but I would just ask you, what are you good at? What are you gifted in? Are you good with people, right? Are you good with politics? Lord, God bless you, right? Are you good engineer? Do you just love numbers? Again, I don't get it, but you go for it. Are you, are you creative individual? What are you good at? What do you feel like in an area you just feel like you come to life when you approach it, when you experience it? I believe for John the Baptist, this was true. See, with John, because of his calling, because of what he did, he was able to step out in faith and be trustworthy to be used by Jesus. And he wasn't able to be curted or pushed to the side because he knew what his purpose was. Here's the thing. When you know what your purpose is and when you're convinced of it, when you understand to a profound depth and communicate by God to you what you're on this earth to do, it's hard to be deterred from that. And so not only did he know his way and what his purpose was, and for us it all looks different. Maybe for you it's creativity and painting. Maybe it's for you it's getting your master's degree and writing dissertations. Whatever it may be, it differs. But then not only did he know his way, but he knew who it was all about. Read in Mark 7, Mark chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, and he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John is able to know who he's doing it all for. I think so often in our current cultural moment where it's so focused on celebrity on, on status, on culture, on influence. John isn't about any of that. He's not out here to become a celebrity prophet and go kick it with the king and be on billboards on the side of the road. John is about one thing, and it's his father's business. John is about this, if you could sum up John's life, it's John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. That John didn't care about status. He didn't care about how he was viewed by people. That at the end of the day, John knew what he was put on earth to do. And he was going to accomplish that. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about how much he could get out of it. But it was about in his calling how he must glorify Jesus. And everything we do, this must be the case. Like I said, in our, in our current cultural moment, everything is so inundated with self. It's so inundated with influence and status and who you know and how you know them. If you live in L.A. or somewhere that's a large metropolitan city, you probably face the ladder climbing that is so prevalent in those cities where people just get to know you because of a certain amount of followers on your social media or a person you know, and it's like a five-second interaction because that's what our cultural moment is, and social media has just amplified this. But I think for John, how this didn't affect him. And Jesus claims in Matthew 11, 11, he says this. Jesus claims that John the Baptist is the greatest man to live, and in the kingdom of God, those who are the least, the least of these, those who are marginalized are greater than John the Baptist. So for Jesus to say, 
John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever live on this side of heaven. And then for him to then say, but the least of these, those who are overlooked, those who have no influence, those who do not matter to society or people at large are greater than he. That says something. That says something to the degree of knowing who it's all about. Because if you keep your life centered on yourself, if you keep your life centered and your calling and what you're doing to see what you can get out of it, your world begins to become very small. It's very self-oriented. It's very selfish. That becomes dangerous. And I think many of us, if we all sat down together, could talk of multiple stories of different people seeking influence and charisma before they had character and how it hurt us or hurt people we loved. And so you have to know your way and know who it's all about. That's the first step. The second step is this. If you want to live courageously in your calling, you have to be ready to get real. You have to be ready to get real. If you've got a Bible, you can jump with me to Matthew 11. If not, I'll read it to you. But in Matthew 11, we see this moment of, of reality where John the Baptist becomes very human. Because here, he's glorified, he's honored, and people even confuse him for Jesus. But then something happens in Matthew 11 that's very interesting. Matthew 11, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. So John has his own disciples, because people were following him. And said to him, Are you the expected one, the Messiah, or shall we look for someone else? John the Baptist, the person whose entire life is centered on making the way for Jesus, for preparing Jerusalem, for preparing the world for the Messiah to come, Jesus' own cousin doubts him. Jesus' own cousin doesn't believe he's the Messiah. He says, are you the one, or should we begin a search for somebody else? See, I think, my friends, we as a culture and as a world and as a society have had enough of phony Christians. I think we as a people, I think every single individual in this room, in this city, has had it up to here with Christians being fake. I think as Christians, it's what we're renowned for a lot of the time, sadly, that we're one way at church, another way at home, one way at church, another way on social media. That it's not even that people aren't being real, it's just that they're just not being themselves. I believe that we've had it up to here with that, that what we need in a time, in this cultural moment, now more than ever, is Christians who get real that we don't need celebrities, that we don't need influencers. We need humans who follow Jesus, who aren't perfect people, but redeemed people. And I think in this, we can realize it's not all about us. And that and the reality is this, is that John the Baptist was a prophet. He was humbled. He was humble enough to have questions for Jesus. Did you know this? I think this trips us up more than anything, that we think Jesus is scared of our questions. I think Jesus will be shocked to hear our questions. We think that so often, that oh, I can't, can't really bring this to God. Like, I, I can't really doubt in this area. It's, it's really not truly like what he desires, and he wants me to be faithful. He wants me to do all these things. When Jesus welcomes this, and that actually after this, this is where Jesus goes on to say John the Baptist is a phenomenal person. And I believe for John the Baptist, what was so freeing, what was so gratifying about this honesty is that he no longer had to be fake. Because I think compromise steps into our life a lot of the time because we have questions about God. We have questions about Jesus. We have certain things in the back of our heads, but we're not brave enough or think Jesus can handle those questions. 
So we hold on to them. And what has us in the darkness, what questions we have in the darkness that aren't brought onto the life, they, they have power in that darkness. And so you come here, you come to whatever church service you may attend otherwise, or a small group or whatever it is for you. And you feel really uplifted. You feel so stoked. You feel really encouraged. And then you go home. And in the back of your head, there, there's this tinging sensation of, yeah, what, was any of that real? Yeah, but what you were feeling during worship, man, that was just emotions. Yeah, how can you even trust this book, this Bible thing? It was written so long ago by so many authors. And you go home, and it eats away at you, and the doubt just begins to creep in step after step. You never confront it. You never say anything about it. You don't even bring it to God. Because he says, ask, and you shall receive. He wants us to bring our issues to him because he's a good father. He wants to help us through that. But instead, this doubt eats away at us to the point where we don't even realize it. It's in our subconscious. And then eventually, the, Jesus, the answers we think Jesus would give us, the answers we think people have to offer us aren't good enough. So we turn to the world, or we turn to society, or we turn to culture. And then those areas we begin to compromise. And through these facets, we begin to be provided answers that we never asked Jesus in the first place, but the world gives readily. And honestly, those answers are correct. It's just confirming, self-fulfilling prophecy. And so if you don't desire to compromise, if you want to live your calling courageously, be real. Be ready to get real. Because like I said, the world doesn't need any more fake Christians. The world has saw through the smoke and mirrors that so much fake religion has to offer. We need followers of Jesus who are real people, who don't have it all together. And this is just an image of our culture at large. And I just think of social media again. It's just so, such low-hanging fruit. I think on social media how no one posts the really hard moments of their life. No one's real about what's actually going on. They post about all their trips and all the things they're doing, but they're not posting about the fight they just got with their mom or the girlfriend-boyfriend dispute that might wreck their relationship or they're not getting into the college of their dreams or getting denied a really good job, one they worked really hard for. This is just a litmus test of so much more that's going on in our culture. I believe that as Christians, we are to be desired to be different than that and to be honest and authentic and that Jesus isn't afraid of what we have to ask because his answers, believe it or not, are much better than we like to think a lot of the time. So be ready to get real. Asking shall receive. That's the second thing. And then for this last one, it's going to be my closing idea and the band can come back up. And this is the last concept tonight. This is the last step for you and I. If we want to live courageously in our calling, if we want to live out the way of Jesus in our life without compromise, no stops pulled, live fully into what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives, it's this. It's okay if nobody cares. It's okay if nobody cares. See, from our perspective, if you're following Jesus in this room, if you're a Christian, it can be easy to view John the Baptist and admire him. He's this phenomenal human being. He's accomplished so much. He's courageous. He's bold. He speaks his mind, even to the point of his death, which is what we'll read about here in a second. But with the death of John the Baptist, it seems like almost all that he did didn't even matter. Like to the culture and the world at large, like no matter how important he is, no matter how much he is doing for the kingdom, no one cares. It says this, that in John 15, Jesus outlines it, 18 to 21. You can read it if you want. It says, for the world hated me. <laughs> what do you expect? What do you expect if the world hates me and you follow me, the world will hate you also? This is one of Jesus' promises, that if you desire to follow Jesus, if you desire to live into the calling God has for you, people won't get it. 
just to be straight up with you guys, people won't understand. When you begin to follow Jesus and those friends you hung out with prior that had this influence over you and this pull and those relationships you lived in and that compromise you followed day after day you knew you shouldn't have but you did anyway, and that begins to not be as satisfying or appealing to you anymore and you pull away from specific relationships, you pull away from specific people just for the sake of I can't compromise in this area anymore. I'm drawing the line in the sand. We can't expect people to get it. We can't expect people to understand, and that's okay. That's what I'm here to tell you tonight. It's okay if people don't get it. This is what happens to John the Baptist. Mark 6, verse 12. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. This is Jesus' followers, and they're talking about Jesus. And King Herod, the man who murdered John the Baptist, heard about it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are here at work in him. But others were saying he's Elijah, another Old Testament prophet. And others were saying he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard about it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, is risen. The guilt just drips off the page there. For Herod himself had sent men and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. John the Baptist gets in prison for a year for standing up for something that he believed was a conviction that this man Herod pretended to care about as being a Jew and just broke that code, just completely disrespected John the Baptist and completely disrespected everything he stood for and the God he believed in. And it wasn't just some random guy. He didn't just call out some random sinner or whatever or some atheist. This was a guy who claimed to follow the same God John the Baptist did. So it only makes sense that John the Baptist said something. What caused him to get in prison then causes him to be beheaded. And in an instant, if you read the story, he's beheaded like nothing mattered in his life. Like he wasn't made in the image of God. Like his life didn't have purpose. Like he wasn't accomplishing something on this earth. And my friends, when you receive backlash, when you receive difficulty, when you begin to follow Jesus and it's hard and it's frustrating and you want to follow your calling in courage, and you can't stop compromising and compromise just pops up in your face, expect it. That we can't expect people to understand, but we can't expect people to help us out who are not followers of Jesus. And this isn't to say all followers of Jesus are evil people. Just can't expect people to get it. Even your nicest, most kind atheist friend, I have many of them, can't understand to a certain degree of why you want to follow this dead, then resurrected again, Middle Eastern guy from 2,000 years ago. It just cannot comprehend with so many individuals. But I don't know about you, but despite what people say, despite what may go on in my life, I I can't be convinced otherwise of what this man named Jesus has just worked in my life. I can't be convinced otherwise of the way he's just miraculously saved me from so many things. But I, I truly do believe this. I would not be here I would not be alive. I would not be doing anything. I'd be dead if it wasn't for Jesus. Nothing can convince me otherwise of wanting to follow him in courage, of wanting to make his name known, that I'm not wanting to make his name known for the sake of proselytizing and televangelizing. I want to make his name known because he changed me. I think he can change you too. And so I don't know about you. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your experience is with Christians or even as a follower of Jesus, what it is. But I know this. I don't have time to waste thinking about what people think about me. 
I don't have time to waste what the world's top 10 opinions are on followers of Jesus. I don't have time for that. Life is very short. Those of us who are older in this room get that. My life is way too short and there's too much to explain about Jesus and there's too much life to be lived and there's too much calling to pursue in what I'm doing to be confused and be just distracted with what people have to say about me. To be distracted with the opinion of the world, to be distracted with the opinions of my own mind. That I have a calling to live out on this earth. I have a calling to pursue and following Jesus and so do you. And so for us tonight, I believe with such strong conviction, many of us, when I mention this word compromise, something comes to mind right away. And I'm not going to list off all the ways we compromise. But for you, you may be struggling so desperately in following Jesus. You may be struggling so desperately in knowing you know what he has for you. He revealed to you maybe in a dream, maybe through confirmation through people. God works in mysterious ways, you guys. But you want to pursue this calling so courageously. You want to live for Jesus. You've been convinced of his goodness. But compromise is robbing you. Setting the bar lower and lower week after week for yourself and your standards is ruining your calling. And Satan can't take your calling. It's a big lie. He, he can't steal it from you, right, as you're entrusted to Christ. But he can convince you it's not that good. He can convince you you're not good enough to live into it. He wants to do what through you? No way. You know what you looked at yesterday? This is the lies that we believe. So for each and every one of us, we all have that compromise something that has popped up in the past or maybe is popping up right now. I want to challenge you to not run away from that. I want to challenge you to embrace, yeah, this is where I'm compromising. It's like I said, self-deception. I mean, we're really good at it as humans. We can deceive ourselves to not fall into this calling that Jesus has laid out for us. And so in this place, I want you to know you're compromised, but I want you to know that you have a calling too. Now, if you're facing great stress right now, if you're facing a lot of spiritual attack, if you feel like just every which way things are barring you from pursuing what Jesus has laid out in your life, it's most likely a good sign that Satan's probably pretty upset about what God is doing through you. And so I'll leave you with this. I'd rather know I'm called by God than accepted by man. I believe, like I said last week, in the United States, we have it so good as followers of Jesus, y'all. The fact that we could just do this right now and broadcast it outside, and I could go invite someone down the street at UNM or wherever, we have it so good. But also believe that in having it so good, we can grow used to what people have to say. We're so comfortable with that. But I just want you to know that no matter what comes, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been called by God. I'd rather have the approval of God rather than the approval of man. So rule out compromise, my friends. I look at each and every one of you, and I see you guys, and we have so many different individuals in this room, so diverse in age and background and ethnicity. I love this. And I believe Jesus wants to transform something in your life. He wants to work within your life so evidently. Let him do it. Don't let compromise steal you from that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for just who you are. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you that you desire for us to live our calling courageously, that you don't want any stops pulled, God. You want us to lean in fully into what your promises are. You want us to lean in fully into what your word is. And Jesus, I just pray for my friends tonight who are facing areas of compromise in their life. It may look different. It may just be in a thought life. 
It may be relationships they know they shouldn't be in. It may be jobs they know they shouldn't be in, Lord, that they're compromising. The bar is set way too low than you ever expected it to be. So Jesus, help us to lean into what you desire us to call and call us to live into, God. Jesus, we need you. We need you to manifest yourself because we can't do it on our own. We don't want to do it without you. So Lord, we, we just come